0: Here at Calvary Chopper Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Well, we're, we're going to continue our study tonight in Genesis. We have made it as far as Genesis chapter 40. We're going to tackle 40 and 41 tonight. Woo! Here we go. Um... Those two chapters move fairly quickly, and uh, here in Genesis chapter 40, we pick back up, of course, in the life of Joseph, this uh, amazing individual that God has blessed, that God is clearly using, has used for our benefit, even as the church today, and um, you know we, we continue as well, and I really won't focus on this much tonight. We could go back to the beginning of, of the life of Joseph and really track all the different ways in which his life in many respects parallels that of Jesus, how he serves as a picture of Jesus. It's truly um, a a pretty amazing thing. Some maybe are guilty of of, um, over-allegorizing the text maybe in light of that, but but it's just, it's pretty amazing to look at his life and all the different ways in which it mirrors Jesus and his his life and, and ministry on this earth. But I say that only just to say, as we continue to look at his life here tonight, we see an individual who is upright um, who is uh, possesses great integrity character, humility, um, and so he's certainly an individual as we read through here tonight, he's one in scripture that we can look at and go, man, that my life would 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 mirror this in many respects right and and that kind of goes back to I think we see a good bit of of Joseph's heart and his character back in chapter 39 specifically in in verse 9 it's written there is no one greater this is Joseph's words to Potiphar's wife there is no one greater in this house than I nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God that gave us a, a good bit of insight there into Joseph's heart even at this point he had been wronged in so many ways yet he knew that God was with him God was blessed blessing him, and here in a moment of temptation, one that in his flesh he surely could have justified, he had the sense to say, how could I possibly do this thing? And not just to you, or not just to my boss, but rather to God, knowing that when we sin, we sin against God and him alone. That's truly who the injustice is towards. And this is the heart that Joseph is going to carry forward. We see through this time that, that Joseph was one who worked hard, Colossians 3:23 and everything that you do do it is under the Lord, not unto man. Joseph had this heart. He was one who had a great reputation even though he had so many things that that were up against him. even when he was thrown into prison, as we'll see the Lord was with him, he earned favor. He didn't seem as it, as it were to let his circumstances get him down. Joseph is one of those guys that really, doesn't seem at least as far as scripture records to have a bad day he just could wake up and say let's go i'm gonna work hard today for the lord he worked hard he feared the lord and as we considered in our study of chapter 39 he fleed from sin these were principles that i believe were evident in joseph's life that allowed him then to have a right perspective to be able to endure trials to be able to endure times of suffering and so God was with him, and we'll see God continues to be with him. And so because Joseph submitted to God, we see that he experienced much favor. In fact, something we'll consider tonight more so at the end here of our study is we'll see that Joseph submitted ultimately to God's, uh, God's revealed will. The things that he knew this would bring glory to God. These are the things that, that, that I know I'm to do in my life that ultimately are right. They're in line with our conscience. They're in line with the Word of God, we being individuals who, who have the Word of God. Um, God's Word is revealed in this. We, we know much of how we are to live our life in a way that will please Him and bring Him glory. But because He did that, because He, he, he submitted to that, because He sought to live His life in that way, He could then also trust that God's perfect an unrevealed will, that, that that decreed will, of uh, that God has, in many cases, a particular plan that will be carried out, that will be accomplished. He could say, I'm doing what I'm responsible for and God will take care of the rest. And so here, as we pick up in Joseph's life, in chapter 40, verse one, we read, it came to pass after these things. It's a funny thing in scripture sometimes when we have uh, just a brief phrase that really encapsulates, no doubt, many Uh, months or years in an individual's life and so it says it, it came to pass after these things we don't know exactly how much time at this point that the butler and the baker and the what yeah it's always just too hard not to say it that the butler and the baker of the king of egypt offended their lord the king of egypt and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. Now, when we think of the chief butler and the chief baker, I don't know what you picture in your mind. As a butler, I picture one of those fancy tuxedos with tails on it. Uh, maybe like uh, what's his name in Batman, Alfred, right? Alfred was Batman's like guy. Um, and the chief baker, I just picture I picture a a, a jolly guy that's just you know. You know, who's the Muppet? The one that can't talk? He can't talk? He can't really say it. You don't understand him, right? He's like, ruh, 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 ruh. they're doing that. Yeah, that's who I picture. And it's probably wrong. <laughs> because the thing about these guys are these, are, these are high-ranking officials, okay? A butler, maybe that makes sense to us a little bit because you think maybe they're over some of the affairs of the household. These guys were really important. They were in, his, they were in the king's inner circle Um, For for the butler, he would have been the the cupbearer. He, he would have been one who was responsible for uh, the vineyard, who was responsible for the wine that would be brought in, tasting the wine, not just to make sure that it was good, that it was a good vintage, that it was you know appropriate for the king, but uh, for Pharaoh, but also that there was no poison in it that wasn't going to hurt him. It's the same thing for the, the baker. These guys were, were there, they were in the midst, they would have overheard a lot of conversation. The, the, the king would have trusted them with his life and so there must have been then some plot against him that was uncovered and these two were obviously implicated somehow but only only implicated maybe not proven which is why they're thrown in this particular prison if it was in fact found that they were guilty if they had done something they'd been dead rest assured so the fact that they're there means that probably some sort of investigation is happening to determine were these guys in on this were they not Uh, And so now here they are in this. Prison in verse three. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. There it is again, for a while, right? We'll see in chapter 41 that when Joseph is raised up to power, he is 30 years old. And so what we do know at this point is we've had these ambiguous periods of time described, is that uh, he has been in Egypt now from the time that he was sold to when he'll be raised up to power, uh, it'll be 13 years in total in that time. So we'll see here shortly at the end of the chapter, specifically a, a period of time that will pass, two years. And so we know that he's at least in prison for really two more years beyond this point right here. Um, some people suggest that he's in prison for about 10 years uh, in total. And so that just kind of helps to give us an understanding of, of what's going on in, in Joseph, Joseph's life. Now remember, he's been given responsibility there in the prison. And so once again, Joseph, even though he's in a difficult spot, the Lord is with him. The Lord shows him favor and uh, he experiences blessing because of it, and so he's been given some responsibilities. He's in charge of some people, and and again for these these guys who come from the uh, from from the palace, as it were, uh, they're in a pretty good situation. It seems they don't want to be thrown in prison, but they're being served by Joseph here, and so again an investigation probably happening. Verse five: Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? I love the fact that in this account we get such detail. Uh, Here we see that Joseph is in prison wrongfully. He's now, though he's been given responsibility, he's been given the responsibility of caring for these other guys who may in fact be in prison rightfully. And Joseph's tasked with caring for them. And this would be one of those moments, and there are many in Joseph's life, where we could sit back and go, you got every reason to just sit in your cell and be like, man, life stinks. And to to wallow in it and to be just so forlorn all the time, yet, yet Joseph is serving faithfully. And he's not just serving faithfully, but here he's actually caring for people. In this moment, he comes and he sees that they're sad. And he, and, and he doesn't just assume, well, they're in prison. They've got to be sad. No, no, no wonder, right? Or he doesn't come in and he goes, man, suck it up. He comes in and he's genuinely concerned about them. We continue to see in the life of Joseph such an example and, and as we look at this, we could easily say, yeah, man, what a great attitude. I should have a good attitude. And sure, if that's how the Lord convicts you, great, have a, do that. Have a good attitude. But I think it's even bigger than that. These guys didn't know the one true God of Israel. They didn't know him. Joseph, is a, he, he's, a, he's a really alone in this case. He doesn't have a bunch of other believers around him. For Joseph in this moment, this is his ministry. And he's being faithful in it. I mentioned earlier Colossians, specifically 3.23, and that's part of it here. That, that particular chapter is so insightful from the, the Apostle Paul. I'll start in verse 22, and then i want to go through chapter 4, verse 6, and just, just listen to this. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, Fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You see, here in this section of Scripture, what Paul is really identifying here, both in terms of exhortation to all believers, but also then in prayer for himself, is that when you're around other believers, be ready to represent Christ. Be be, be ready to, to give a word when needed. Be ready to open your mouth and share the truth of the gospel. Consider other people. And so here, even in this difficult situation, Joseph comes in and he says, why are you sad? He develops a relationship which is going to give him the opportunity to share a truth that he gives God glory for, which will eventually be part of the means for his deliverance. Verse 8, and they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Man, this guy. You know, Joseph obviously had a confidence that he could interpret a dream. He had a little bit of experience with dreams himself. He, in this moment, could have been like, I'm kind of a dream guy, right? Me, I know a thing or two about dreams. Tell me, tell me, you know, tell me about this dream. I'll tell you all about it. In this moment, there isn't a thought. It appears in his mind of any sort of selfish gain. There's only humility. Here in this moment, he takes this opportunity and he could have brought glory to himself and he says, doesn't, doesn't it belong to God? Isn't this an opportunity for God to move and work in your life? He, again, he, he's, he's mindful of pointing people towards truth, pointing people to the, the one true God that he knew about. That Again, I'd say he, he no doubt has, has heard often about from his own father as he was raised as a, as a son who was close to him. And here's the thing about humility, because in this moment, Joseph is truly demonstrating humility. And Joseph gives, gets a bad rap a little bit, and, 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 and I've, I'm guilty of this as well, because we, we go back to Joseph in his early dream interpretation days, and we can kind of look at him and go, man, Joseph, you're being a little, a little unaware as you're sharing with people about these dreams that you're having. But I think in many respects for Joseph, it's just a sense of, well, I'm just sharing the truth, this is just what happened. He's just a guy who's just so straightforward, so matter of fact. And the other thing, especially as we get to this point in Joseph's life, I think he is a guy who has begun to figure out how God has gifted him and how God has created him. And that's an important thing, I think, for all of us to understand about what humility is. A lot of times we think of humility wrongly in terms of it some, some sort of self-deprecation. To be humble, I've just got to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to be small and be, be hold back and... And and there may be elements of humility or even of meekness where it's appropriate to be quiet, to be reserved. I'm not knocking that at all. But the important thing for us to, I think, understand about humility is this. Humility is understanding who you are and how you are gifted. Meaning, for Joseph here, he was able to exalt God, but with confidence do that which he was gifted to do. The question I would ask of each of us here tonight is, how has God gifted you? How has he made you? What is it that you know about yourself that you know I'm good at this? And, and I don't know that and you, maybe you've spent some time you know, sort of training uh, yourself and, and working on things, but in general, you know this is something about what God has done in me. It's him. Well, by golly, it, it, do it. Do it for his glory. Be confident in it. Humility can be saying, I'm, I'm good at this. And you know what? It's not me. God did it, but he did it for a purpose so that I could glorify him, so I'm going to do it with confidence and give him glory for it, right? Amen? You don't have to hide it. Let it be on display before men that they might honor God. Okay? So this is what Joseph is doing. He's saying, look, God, this is about God. He does this work, but tell it to me. Let's go. Then the chief butler, so the butler goes first. Verse 9, told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, verse 12, This is the interpretation of it. I love this. He's so confident. He's like, oh, got it, right? There's confidence here. Good for him. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. He gives him a good interpretation. He tells this guy, look, here it is. You're almost out of here, man. You're about to be restored to your rightful position. It must be that the investigation is done. You've been proven innocent. You're going back. Now he recognizes that there's an opportunity. And this isn't selfish gain on the part of Joseph here. This is just him being strategic. This is just him taking advantage of an opportunity to say, verse 14, but remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Now, how do I know here that Joseph wasn't being sort of, oh man, I got to take advantage of this moment so I can get myself out of here. Look what he tells him about his story. Let's pause for a moment. If you had the opportunity in this moment to tell somebody all about your innocence and everything that's happened to you over the last potentially, maybe at this point, eight years, what are you going to tell him? Think about it you have no idea what's happened to me. My brothers did this, and then this happened, and then Potiphar, and this, and and everything else, right? And you see what happened was, and all this kind of stuff. What's Joseph say? For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Nothing about his brothers, nothing about Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife. He just says, look, I shouldn't be here. Would you remember me? Would you show me kindness? Thinking surely this guy's going to go and tell about what happened in the dream and maybe I got a chance to get out of here. So Joseph sees this opportunity, shares his story. And uh, and then this is speculation, but many agree that in this moment, the, the the baker who was not the first to share his dream sees at this point, verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, You see, as we'll find out here in a moment, the baker was guilty. And so it may be the case that the baker wasn't all that excited necessarily to share his dream at first and the interpretation of it. But now he saw that for the chief butler, his interpretation was good. So so just maybe his will be as well. And so he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Now what comes next is classic Joseph. Okay, Going back once again to his early days of interpreting dreams, we can remember how Joseph would sort of be bebopping out to the field to see his brothers, and he's like, hey guys, I had a dream again last night. Right? And he's just so excited to tell him about probably this gift that he's experienced from God where he has a sense of interpreting dreams. Probably wasn't his intention to make his brothers feel bad or to suggest to his brothers that I'm better than you. He was just very matter of fact and saying, Look, I had this dream. I'm gifted in interpreting dreams. Here he was again. And man, I want to tell you about it. And no doubt in those times when he told him about his dreams, there was sort of a reaction that he got, whether it's from his brothers or his father. That he sort of, as he was done telling him about it, sees these odd looks and thinks, Was it something I said? <laughs> right? And so, albeit he's, he's maybe a little unaware, he's a godly individual, pure of heart. And so, here this, this gentleman uh, shares his dream, and in verse 18, Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. The end. (laughs) It's fantastic. Some say that uh, certainly Joseph in this moment stopped and prayed and considered, oh, should I tell him this? My opinion, no, I don't think he did. I think he heard it and he was like, got it, (laughs) you're dead. Right, uh, I, I do. I think this was. We see this this pattern with with Joseph. I mean, he was he was honest. You could say he was honest to a fault, but he did not have any issue sharing the truth. And I think what we need to recognize here in this is that as believers, we too need to be willing, when given the opportunity, just to share the truth, to be direct. And to tell people this is what it is. This is what we're called to do. It, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, he says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why do we hold that back? Well, we hold it back because far too often we're afraid that we're going to offend the fact of the matter is, Scripture tells us, yes, it's going to offend. You can't, you, you, when we seek to try to, to dance around it, all we're doing is trying to water down the gospel. And we don't have to be in somebody's face, we don't have to be rude about it, but we declare the truth. Because the truth ultimately is what's going to set them free. And we just need to understand as I declare this truth, they are either going to be offended, or they're going to laugh at it, they're going to think it's silly or just maybe the Holy Spirit that's been drawing them under repentance is in that moment going to reveal all of this to them such that they go, praise God, that's it. That, that's, that's what I've been missing. That's, th- this makes sense to me. And then we have the incredible privilege of being able to lead somebody unto salvation. We can't hold back. We've got to be bold. Now there are ways, there are, there are ways in which we can be trained up to do this and to do this effectively and to do this with the right heart. we got two experts sitting in the back of the room, 10th hour grads. Three, right there. Sorry, it's been so many years now, Tara, I'm sorry. we got three 10th hour grads in here now, right? Help me out here, three? Okay, very quickly going to start losing track. <laughs> right, you guys could give a class on it, right? You want to right now? Tara, you look very shocked at the moment. Are you offended that I didn't include you first for go around? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we'll talk later about that. <laughs> there are ways, okay? Here's the deal. Recently, um, the Lord gave me an opportunity uh, based off of me being able to share uh, from the word amongst a group. And then a little bit later on, uh, sitting at dinner, and an individual who I have known for a long time uh, look over at me and say, "Okay, so tell me this: if I die tonight and I've not accepted Jesus as you said as my Lord and Savior, am I going to hell?" And I thought in that moment, like, you know, when when everything about what's happened in that moment just sort of like stops, and you're like, "Really?" And I looked him right in the eye and I said, "Yes," and he said. Wow. He said, that's pretty heavy. I said, it is, isn't it? He said, and you really believe that? And I said, I do. He goes, so that's just it? It's done for me, it's over? I said, Not yet. I said, You're still alive right now. You still got breath in your lungs. So scripture says it's appointed a man once to die, and then the judgment. I said, You still got time. And he said, So you really believe that Jesus is the only way. All these religions out there and all this stuff that everybody else believes. And people who are well-intentioned and seemingly good people, that that Jesus is the only way. I said, that's right. He goes, wow, that's kind of narrow-minded, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. He said, I just struggled with it. He said, that's a really bold statement. I said, it is, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) What was I going to say? Well, you see, because I don't want to offend, because I want to make you feel a little bit better about yourself right now, because I don't want you to leave right now thinking that I told you you're going to hell. I'm going to just sort of tiptoe around this and soft sell this to you and make you feel like you're okay. Such that when you walk out of here and get hit by a bus, I'm complicit. No. I got, here, here's this, this, this opportunity on a platter. Now, did it go beyond that? I said, look, here, here's, here's the truth of the matter. You've still got time to repent All you need to do is call in the name of Jesus, and you're saved. And I said, and the whole reason that I'm telling you this is because I love you. And don't be offended by it because I'm the same as you. I'm a sinner too. The only difference is because of that, I've asked Jesus for forgiveness. And that's available to you. Now, that person may be watching tonight. Maybe they'll watch later on, just maybe. And if you do, you know who you are. Because he came and he died for us we have a responsibility to tell people that. Joseph was a straight shooter, and the Lord blessed it. Verse 20, Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This would be one of those moments in the story, right, where you find yourself going, oh, man, come on. Can't the guy get a break? But I think it's important for us to look at this for a moment and understand that though Joseph appealed to this man to say, hey, remember me, I firmly believe that Joseph did not put his hope in this man. And we need to recognize that here tonight as well. I don't know all the details of this story of what happened at this particular time, but I know that it should be uh, important for us to consider here when we read this and, and to ask ourselves, what is your hope in? What's your hope in? You know, Joseph, I'm, I don't think his hope was in this man, but I think oftentimes our our hope may tend to be. In a in, in, in something or, or someone that when we are in a place of despair, when we have been wronged, when we are in a situation where things are not going our way, uh, when we find ourselves in a prison of, of sorts, that we can begin to look to any opportunity that may seem to provide possible deliverance. And to hope in those things and to look to those things and to think maybe, maybe this is my way out. Maybe this person, maybe this this thing will will get me out of here. I mean, we can even think of this within the church. We can easily, amongst good people who care for one another and serve one another, begin to put our hope in each other. I I can stand up here before you because, because I've got the microphone right now so I can say it and say, I will let you down. I will let you down. Man, I don't want to. And I think sometimes, honestly, I work really hard to try not to. And then sometimes that's when you do because you're trying so hard. We will let each other down. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. We've got to be careful and we've got to evaluate who do we put our hope in? What do we put our hope in? If you're putting hope in man, if you're putting hope in your flesh and your own strength, it says your heart will depart from the Lord. You'll wander. You'll find yourself suddenly in a place where you're like, where am I? If, for Joseph, if he was sitting here in this moment just hoping and hoping that this guy was going to bust him out, then he would end up spending two years in bitterness wondering, and probably then failing to serve the way that he needed to serve such that he could continue to be a blessing and a witness and an example. So praise God, it appears that he didn't. Hopefully he was able to just say, okay, Lord, I trust you. Because verse, or excuse me, chapter 41, then it came to pass at the end of two full years. Can you imagine two more years if he'd have been just hoping that whole time that that guy was going to remember him? how miserable those two years would be. And maybe there's some of you sitting here tonight, maybe you're in the middle of one of these times, or maybe you've had a time like this in your past, and you're thinking, yeah, I wasted a lot of time hoping in a certain individual or hoping in a situation that just rather than running to Jesus. Two full years. Now it comes to a time then that it says Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. We'll pause there for a moment because here, again, how long do you like to wait for something? We put an offer in on this building in the end of May. Lord, that was like seven years ago. (laughs) Do you have any idea how long ago that was? May. (laughs) It's been a few months. It was like two weeks ago that they said, how about we give you the building? I was like, two weeks? It was like 60 years ago. I can't take this anymore, (laughs) right? How long do you like to wait? two years? What do you do in the waiting? When you are in that period of waiting, what do do you do? do? And and who or what do you run to in that time? Especially when all of a sudden things aren't going your way. I'll tell you what I do. I'm patient, patient, super godly, right? For like a few days. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to figure this out, (laughs) right? I'm going to do this. I shared this in prayer the other morning, not, not from a place of boasting. Like, so much of worldly success that I've experienced, especially when I was in the business world, was because, like, I, I figured it out. Like, I, I, I just, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. And, of course, from an employer's perspective, they're like, check it out. Give him another project. He'll do it. But along the way, what do you lose? And where do you sometimes get to and accomplish things that you, you stand back and you go, man, he never even wanted me here. But I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And there's other times too where I look and I go, man, I, 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 the Lord was in that, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you should have seen us. I'm sure Ashley's thinking of the same example as I'm thinking of. Our last trip to Ethiopia. I won't go into all the details of it because I can't go. I'll incriminate myself. <laughs> some of you chuckle. Some of you're like, oh. <laughs> "Just know this: we went to Ethiopia, and it may have required some senators and a couple, of guys, <laughs> right? Like it was me calling everybody, everybody that I could get a hold of to try and make this happen, and this happen, and this happen. And then when it's all said and done, these guys going back and going, "Wait, how did how did this?" I don't think that should have happened. Uh, And taking a step back and just kind of going like, all right, did I push too much, Lord? And and we'll get to this. We're going to get there as far as, because inevitably you start to go into these areas and you go, okay, well, what was God's will? Was it his will? Was it okay? Were Were you doing what his will was? Were you not? We'll deal with that a little bit later. We'll solve it all tonight, don't worry. The point being, I'm being transparent with you think for yourself what, what do you do in those moments yeah i'm guilty of pushing i gotta figure this out i'm grateful that the lord has been doing a work then in my life especially as it relates to just some of what's going on in the church right now allowing me to get to a place where i'm going okay okay lord loose grip loose grip lord you've got this i don't need to do it you go before me what do you run to who do you go to what are the things that you're waiting on Think about it right now, right now in your mind. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on the Lord to do? Provision? Job? Finances? Lost? Loved one? Backslidden loved one? What are the circumstances in your life? Healing? And how are you handling it? How are you working through it? Are you trusting in man or are you trusting in the Lord? Are you running to something or are you running to someone? There is always waiting. Always waiting. In Scripture, there is always, always, always waiting between the promise and its fulfillment. There's always a period of time. I was sharing with the, the um, my Bible students this morning. Uh, we were going through a variety of different things, but we came back to, to John 11 and, and Jesus and his raising of Lazarus. And um, Amongst Jewish culture, there's a tradition that when somebody dies, that the spirit of the individual will remain close to the grave for three days. It'll be there and that, and that in some cases resuscitation will happen. It must have been the case that you know, throughout history there was individuals who um, maybe they perceived that they died and they weren't and they, they were alive again all of a sudden or maybe there was some miraculous resuscitation. Um, whatever it was, it developed in the culture this idea that for three days, but after the third day, all hope is lost. And, and it's so amazing there in in the raising of Lazarus, you, r- you remember in the story that they come to him, right? That people are s- come to seek him because he's in another town at the time. And they tell him Lazarus is dead. And does Jesus in that moment, does he go, <gasps> and he runs to get there? What is, is that what he does? What does he do? He waits. He waits. The audacity. He doesn't go. When does he go? He arrives on a particular day. What day does he arrive? The fourth day. Why? So that they could get to a place where in some respects, maybe not, maybe my way of stating it is the wrong way of stating it admittedly, but so that they would have given up hope in the things of the flesh. So that they could be in a place where Jesus could come and they could know he did it, right? Sometimes there's a whole lot of purpose in that waiting, right? What does God do in your life in the waiting? He teaches us a lot, doesn't he? So now comes this place. Joseph's been waiting. He has been waiting, but trusting, being obedient, fearing God, working hard. And now here comes this this moment. Pharaoh's had a dream. Verse 2, Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, Seven other cows came up after them out of the river ugly and gaunt and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate. They ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. I'd wake up too. That's a creepy dream. (laughs) Seven fat, healthy cows in the meadow and seven just ugly, nasty cows and (laughs) they eat them. Pharaoh wakes up. (laughs) He's like, what was that? Right? So he slept and he dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one, st- one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. I'd say rightfully so. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. There was no one who could interpret them for, for Pharaoh. Verse nine. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, "I remember my faults this day." <laughs> this is a this is a very kind way of saying, "Man, this butler screwed up." In this moment, he's like, "Oh no!" There was this guy. Verse ten. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard both me and the chief baker we each had a dream in one night he and I each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream now there was a young Hebrew man with us there a servant of the captain of the guard and we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man he interpreted according to his own dream and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us so it happened he restored me to my office and he hanged him Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out. So much time has passed, so much waiting, no doubt, so much wondering, but, but, but coming back to, to trusting in God, yet all of a sudden, in a moment, life can change. Everything's been slow, so slow, so slow, 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 and then all of a sudden he's brought up quickly. And the same thing can happen in our lives. God can change things in a moment, in a minute. So they bring him out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, finally, somebody's going to give me the credit I'm due. Finally, I get to show off a little bit. Finally, that guy over there remembers me. Is that what he did? No. In this moment, all this time, his response is, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Man, this is incredible. I mean, this guy's willingness to consistently demonstrate such character, humility, integrity. And so in verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat. They fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good, then behold, seven heads, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land, so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Note that phrase there, God will bring it to pass. We'll touch on that in a moment as we start to close. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. So here now, Joseph has given an interpretation. He's done so confidently, but he goes a step further and he's now providing counsel. Yet he is, in fact, a humble man, but he knows what God has called him to do. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Note he said, let him appoint a man. He doesn't say, go ahead and appoint me. He said, here's just what you need to do. Let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So once again, here with confidence, great confidence, Joseph not only gives interpretation to the dream here, but he gives tremendous counsel. He directs where things even should be placed, there in the city. and um, I mean, he's very specific here. And so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And so look now, because he was faithful and because he was doing the things in such a way as it would bring glory to God, now he's in a moment where people are looking and saying, who else are we going to pick? Have we seen anybody else who has such character, anybody else who has the Spirit of God? But yet he was never taking credit for himself, never pointing to himself, yes, operating in confidence in his gifting, but then always just saying, look, here's here's what you need to do. And God blessed him. So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. This guy went from zero to hero. He was in a pit, in a prison, and now he's second in command in Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had just been stinky in prison clothes and a long, nasty beard. And boom, he's cleaned up and he's given counsel, and now he's got fine linen on. And put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Penia. And he gave him as a wife, Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So here he's given a name, this name, many people debate exactly how to translate it. It can mean um, revealer of dreams, savior of the world. God speaks and he lives. You can continue to see some parallels there with our Messiah and the change here in circumstances in Joseph's life. And guys, listen, there is suffering in the life of a believer. We can't look at this story and go, man, I'm here now, but man, tomorrow I'm going to be vice president and lots of money in the bank. But you can absolutely trust that what God can do in your life is turn circumstances around that he can change everything in a moment. And that, yeah, you can absolutely be confident that, confident that someday you're going to be in glory. And I think for us, are we aware of what God can do? And God has his plan and his purposes, yes. But I think what we see here too is not only God's sovereign plan, but also Joseph's obedience in the midst of that plan. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. It's not lost on us no doubt in this moment to see just everything that God did in his life. And I wonder for each of you is there a Manasseh in your life? Is there an Ephraim in your life? Is there a point when you're able to go look? God has made me forget all that was in my past. God has called me to be fruitful. We we got to get to a place in our lives and recognize that that is what God can do. He can get us to a place where we can look back and go look. I am in Christ. I'm in new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And to look forward and to understand that, yeah, you may have been in a pit. And you may have been dirty and stinky and all these things, metaphorically or very much physically and real, and real. But to go look what God can do. Now listen, as we, as we close here, God's, and this is a lot for tonight, I get. But as we look at this, we got we to we understand that God had a plan. There's no doubt about it. God had a plan. We know we can look at this now in Joseph's life and say, look what God was doing. God had a plan and it was not only for Joseph, but it was more so to save his people. But yet we also see that in the midst of that, Joseph was obedient. He was doing the things that he was supposed to be doing. God's sovereign plan and purposes will prevail. Yes, they will. God absolutely has a plan that will be accomplished no matter what you do or don't do but there is also responsibility that each of us have in the process, and we can't miss that when we look at Joseph's life. Theologians discuss God's, uh, God's will in, in, in two kind of key ways. There is his secret will or his decreed will, and, and sometimes it's, it, it's, it's referred to as his hidden will, and it refers to the fact that, yes, God is sovereign and rules over all things. Nothing happens outside of his perfect will And and it's called that, it's called hidden or decreed because, one, we don't know when it's going to come to pass and we don't understand all things about it, but we know that God is at work. Isaiah 46, 9-10, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's the sovereign will of God. Nothing is going to come against that. But then there is God's revealed will. And that's what he's made known to us in Scripture. That's what what Joseph knew because of what he was taught to go back to the the early books, the tradition of Moses, and to understand this is how we're called to live. We know God's will. What do we know about God's will? When you consider Scripture, what do you know about God's will? About how you are to live your life. What's his word tell you? Give me a few. Give me a few. It's perfect. Yep. What should our lives look like each day? Holy unto God. Get much more literal, much more practical. Surrender. Serenity. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. What else? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know that you should do that. That is his will. You, there is much about God's will that we know all the time, yet we constantly to go, What's God's will? What's God's will? What's God's will? What's God's will? How do we determine God's will? And we have this sense of like, God's got this will thing going on out there and I can't figure it out. There's a certain aspect of his will that is absolutely happening. Nothing's going to change it, but you have a responsibility in that to read his word, which he has revealed his will in this word that says, look, here's what you're supposed to do. 59 times throughout the New Testament, he says things about one another, love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens. That is his revealed will. Those are the things that we're to be doing. For Joseph, he feared God. Fear God and keep his commandments. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbors as himself. He sought out every day to go, look, I know what I'm supposed to do today. He knew based off of Scripture that he, however it was shared with him, that he shouldn't murder, he shouldn't steal, he shouldn't cheat, he shouldn't lie, he shouldn't gossip, he should have no other gods. Why do I mention all of this? And I know i got to close, i got to do it. Sometimes though, we, we, we've, we make God's will so big and then we stress about it. And then especially you go, okay, okay, I know that God's will, there's this big will that's happening, nothing's gonna stop it and then I'm supposed to do this day to day but what about when I'm faced with two choices? What about when I'm just in that spot where I'm like, do I do this or do I do this? I was reading an article by Kevin DeYoung, he writes this, God is not a magic eight ball that we shake up and peer into whenever we have a decision to make. He is a good God who gives us brains, shows us the way of obedience, invites us to take risks for him. We know God has a plan for our lives. It's wonderful. Problem is we think he's going to tell us the wonderful plan before it unfolds. We feel like we can know and need to know what God wants every step of the way, but such preoccupation with finding God's will as well-intentioned as the desire may be is more folly than freedom. You see, sometimes when we're standing and we've got two ways before us and we're going, what's God's will, what's God's will, we just need to go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to do today what I know he's called me to do, I'm going to live well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of other people, I'm going to treat other people well, I'm going to go down this path and I'm going to trust that I serve a holy and righteous God who loves me and he's going to take care of me and that maybe both of those paths are perfectly in line with his will. Maybe they're two different paths that get you to the exact same destination. And we can just trust him that he's going to be with us along the way. Or maybe along the way you're going to go, I don't know if I was supposed to be here. God sort of put a stop here. I'm going to maybe go back. But along the way I'm going to learn a lot and I'm going to draw closer to him along the way. And I'm sharing all of these things here tonight because as we look at Joseph's life, we need to understand that there were times when he said, God's going to bring this to pass. Did Joseph bring about the famine? No, that was what God was going to do. That was his plan. He, was, he had that in his plan for a purpose because he was working to bring about his people, to set his people apart. But in that process, Joseph got to participate in it because daily he just feared God and followed after him. And he didn't worry about all those other pieces. Is it God's will that we're gonna get that building? Because there's a lot of people in this process that are praying, hey, God's will be done, God's will be done. Well, well, I don't know that us being in that building is part of God's decreed hidden will. I don't know that it's there meaning it may not even be really it's just sort of like hey there, there's no good thing that I'm going to withhold from you go in there if, if it works out it works out go if, if not well hey I got I got something else for you don't worry I'm still on the throne we're still going to finish this thing up <laughs> right Does that make sense so guys again look at Joseph's life and consider how he was willing to just in the midst of waiting in the midst of trial in the midst of difficulty go this is what I know I need to do today I'm going to serve him today I'm going to serve him well and I'm going to trust him with the rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for our time in your word here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which your spirit speaks to us, Lord, convicts us, challenges us, Lord. It's you, and we thank you for it. May you have all the glory here tonight. May you, Lord Jesus, have the preeminence. May our hearts, our minds, our eyes, Lord, as they were, be fixed upon you. Go before each of these here, Lord. Help us to be a people who trust, Lord, in your perfect will, and help us to just be surrendered and obedient in the process. We love you, Lord, and praise you. We give you thanks and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.